in the middle of that training, I was, I, I thought, man, if, if I make my way through this, I'm gonna bring as many people with me as I can. It was that same kind of feeling on I just getting down on my knees and praying with all my might on, I'm so fucking lost. <laughs> I don't know what you do with Instagram. Are you using Instagram? I don't know, I haven't even tried Twitter. Instagram, I'm, I'm wasting my time here. Okay, I'm gonna say the welcome. Are you okay, ready? Okay, I'm ready. Welcome to Caterpillar Goo. This is Rod. And I'm Flora. And uh, this is kind of weird because we've never done this on two microphones before. So I got a microphone. And I got a microphone. Woohoo! It's so weird. We're improving our sound with every podcast that we do. Well, Wait, we is hope it called so anyway. Every podcast or every episode? I think the whole thing is a podcast. Each one is an episode. Ah. See how that works. I see. It's like a book Versus a chapter. Uh, I'm <laughs> such a newbie. So, oh, Rod, yeah. I got a question. Okay. How do you practice your spirituality? What, today? Every day. Oh. I try to practice growth for myself, kindness, forgiveness for others. I try to not think that I understand everybody else's situation. Give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. What about you? What do you do? Why are you such a goody two shoes? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a saint. I can't help it. <laughs> so tell me about yoga. Do you do yoga? No, I don't do yoga. I have done yoga, but I don't do yoga. And I should because I always feel good when I do it. Every time I've ever done yoga, I walk away from it going, that was the best thing ever. I should do that every day. And then I don't do it again for another two years. What about you? Do you do yoga? I don't do yoga. Yoga is not my thing. Running, strength training, those are my things. Well, today we have an interview with Christopher Howell, who started something that's really cool. It's called Yoga Hike, and we did one together. Yeah. What did you think of Yoga Hike? Um, I liked the hiking part and the meditation part, the yoga part. But the meditation is part of the yoga. That's true. But I, I'm willing to try again. And then I did a, another one without you. And that's one of the cool things about Yoga Hike is the destinations all over Austin are amazing. It's a great way to get familiar with different hiking locations around the city. And there's a lot of them in this town. That's one of the cool things about Yoga Hike is it's, it's a combination of two things that are quintessentially Austin, which is hiking and yoga. And this brings them together. Yeah, I enjoyed the group, the people, the person. I forgot her name at the first one, the McKinney Falls one. What was her name? Her name was Sarah. She was really good. She was awesome. Everyone was friendly and, uh, you know, go at your own pace. And everybody was encouraging and supportive. So it was cool. Yeah. And uh, I think she was part of a uh, recent expansion that Christopher's done and bringing in more teachers. He talks about that in the interview. He also has plans to expand it into destination locations outside of Austin, which I think he's done some of them, but he has plans to do more of that. So should we get to the interview? Let's. Okay. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> <laughs> Tried college out of high school. 
I wasn't a disciplined student, uh, but I was a good salesman. And um, in those days, it was still believed that you could get by in life with a good handshake and a smile. And uh, so I went that route. You know, I was up in College Station selling shoes uh, at 18, 19, 20. And she would drive in on the weekends, got pregnant one weekend. And as a good Catholic boy, that's what you did in those days. And I wasn't good at relationships. And I hadn't, uh, I was in my 20s. I was in my 20s. I mean, that's just it. I, I hope no one ever gets married before they're 30. It wasn't for me. And no birth control as a Catholic. And so, you know, we had three boys and a miscarriage. <laughs> Uh, you know, we were pregnant the whole time that we were um, together. I was money-driven. That's all I wanted. I wanted to be successful. I was one of the top Chevrolet salesmen in the country, uh, number three in the state of Texas. I like to still like to brag about that 25 years later. The only path for me after that was to buy a dealership, and that wasn't a path that was going to suit me. I was an alcoholic in my uh, marriage, I was very irresponsible, 20-year-old, had three kids from 20 to 27, like that. Uh, I wasn't actually, I'm not that kind of guy, I'm not the father of three children's kind of guy. So the cocaine came as a way of covering the feelings that came with all of that, all the shame around even saying, hey, I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> you know, I can say that now, 27 years later, but I couldn't say it. Then, for about a year following the divorce, uh, all I cared about was uh, being successful. I didn't really deal with the pain of making my first mistake. I was kind of a golden boy growing up. I didn't make a mistake until that divorce, and it hit me pretty hard. I mean, I got in trouble as a kid, but that was part of the, <laughs> part of the adventure for me. But that was the first time that, because I, I had a pretty strong Catholic uh, background. But that was the first time I'd ever failed at anything. I really never made a mistake. And I didn't really deal with that. I figured if I were successful enough, it would make up for it. Um, I got introduced to cocaine, did coke for about nine months. And then I think I probably had a psychotic break, a drug-induced psychotic break. Quit my job one day, left my demo, walked uh, from the dealership to my house. That was about an eight-hour um, walk. Went to bed for about two months. Then got in my car, started driving around. I drove from here to California, and then I was making my way. I was going to go to Florida and met these hippies down in South Padre. I was 28 uh, at this time. I even remember the, the night before uh, meeting them. I mean, I got down on my knees and I prayed with all of my might to try and find a way out of the hell that I was in. And um, that showed up for me. And um, they invited me to go on a meditation. And I was pretty much a confirmed atheist following my divorce and such. Uh, but the girls were hot. So <laughs> I said I would join them. Uh, we met on the beach at uh, dawn, swam out to this uh, sandbar, and the leader of the group um, gave us a mantra to use, you know, just saying, 
series of words over and over again to confuse the brain. He also told us to visualize dolphins while we're doing these mantras. I played along, peer pressure. But about 20 minutes into the experience, um, and we were doing them silently, but anyway, there was like a, a, a simultaneous breath, and everyone opened their eyes at the same time. We all kind of looked in one direction like satellites, you know, and there was a school of 15 dolphins um, that went swimming by the same amount that was in our circle. And so that was interesting to me. <laughs> it reawakened me to the possibility of some kind of mystery beyond my understanding that I had pursued in the Catholic Church as a child. The only thing that I've come to is that there's this idea that Jung has of synchronicity. So these people for, that I met down in uh, South Padre were from Austin. <clears throat> and so I moved to Austin to, to study with these guys. The excuse I gave my family was that I was going to learn how to be a massage therapist. <laughs> I didn't tell them I was coming up here to study with a hippie. They were intense. Uh, they used breath work as the therapy for cleansing the body um, to make that realm of possibility more accessible to the psyche. The guy that was leading the um, group, I sat outside of his house for a half an hour bawling, um, trying to get the courage to walk up and ask him if he would be my teacher. Um, he was connected to something that was that I very much wanted to be connected to. What I've done since shortly after that experience, I got introduced to the power of the myth. And the power of the myth, that was an interview with Bill Moyers and uh, Joseph Campbell. And I have chased the references of that conversation for the last 30 years. So all of my reading has been um, the authors that he's referenced. And um, I added um, work by Stanislav Grof, who's one of the uh, leading technologists in brain studies, near-death experiences, and how to access that uh, using breathing techniques. Grof's background is that he was a, the leading psychology uh, researcher of uh, LSD research in Czechoslovakia in the 60s. And then when he moved to the U.S., he couldn't use LSD, and so he found this breathing technique, um, which I think uh, is more impactful than LSD. I think that the breath work is uh, more um, uh, uh, substantive and accessible and you can get uh, as much of it or as little of it as you want at any time. You know, psychologists will work with um, having you examine decisions you made as a child from one to six years old or something like that, and that's kind of determined who you are as a human being. Um, what a spinoff from the work that Stan Groff does with um, breath work, he does what's called holotrophic breathing, and it'll be deep, round, circular breathing where you go beyond hyperventilation um, for three, four, six hours and it, using different sounds and things like that, it creates a what he calls a non-ordinary state of consciousness which 
um, are, uh, is also the way that he describes near-death experiences. And so all spiritual awakenings, according to this theory, come from that edge. A deviation from that work was there was some work in the 80s and 90s called rebirthing. And the rebirthing is using the same similar uh, breathing techniques as uh, Groff. Um, but what you're working on is the interpretation. What they're working with is that the um, decisions and the way your personality is shaped by the way that you interpreted your birth experience. And so what you're working on doing is breathing deep, full breaths and clearing out the cellular memory of whatever decisions were made during that birth process. So when you have a thought, it creates a chemical reaction in your body and that gets stored in your body unless you find some way to work it out. And then you get addicted to that chemical blend um, and that influences your psychology. And so by using specific breathing techniques, they would use an affirmation process. You'd write affirmations over and over and over and over again to stir up a thought that you hadn't fully integrated. Like it might be, I'm God Christopher, I'm an innocent child of God. All my desires are holy and always have been. That was the first thought that I worked with. And I probably wrote that thousands and thousands and thousands of times because just to work through the layers of where I wasn't an innocent child um, because of all the shame that I'd carried. And using these breathing techniques helped facilitate that for me. And then... Uh, uh, part of what, uh, the work there was discovering what your purpose is and helping people realize their oneness is part of what my purpose is, using my, um, uh, my charisma, my ability to learn. I was uh, introduced to a weekend uh, encounter group. Uh, with the rebirthing work, there's not a lot of emotional work done. You're supposed to breathe through the emotion. Um, and I think that's one of the fallacies of the work or one of the shortcomings of the work. I think you need both. Um, and so I was introduced to this encounter group where we just cried and screamed and everything at 100%. The weekend was about expressing yourself at 100% through the entire weekend. And so every time I went, you found new expression, <laughs> new levels of 100%. There was tons of healing that went on in those uh, classes, I was able to do years worth of therapy in one weekend all the time. And I went into a training to learn how to facilitate those weekends. Two years um, worth of training once a month out at uh, a corporate headquarters, a Thursday through Monday training, and then uh, every weekend or every other weekend at a local uh, training facility for two years, only like maybe 5% of the people that went through the training ever graduated and became facilitators because you have to go through, you, you have to go through your stuff. And I was also, I took my sales background, I became a good teacher and I learned how to fill these courses for these folks. They didn't have a machine that would regularly put together classes that they could count on in size that they needed. And so I helped build that machine and then help uh, build uh, franchises for them and other centers around the country with that. I didn't get a buzz from putting people in Chevrolets anymore. Um, I really got a buzz into putting people into their lives. 
And uh, so as easy as I can make that process for people to make the decision to take those steps and make those changes. And we finally found a path and I worked on it for two years. I was teaching, I was facilitating the weekend events. And what those were was a male and a female instructor and uh, 24 students. They paid about anywhere from five to $700 to be in the weekend. And then there's 20 to 30 graduate assistants who come back to help provide the same course experience for other people. So I got trained on how to facilitate those, but in the path along the road there, one of the things that the franchises had a problem with is they didn't know how to put people in the classes. They were just weak at doing it, attracting people to the class. Anyway, I found a path. I found a introductory workshop that made it easy for people to make the decision to see if it was good for them, found a way to get the graduates to make that available to their community. And so I worked in that for about seven or eight years. And then the um, facilitator started going in another direction. I went to a massage school. This is in my late thirties, I guess. Uh, through all of that work, you're also working with the work of Louise Hay. And Louise Hay's work is that um, you store different thoughts, feelings, and attitude in different parts of your body, and those can contribute to different types of illnesses. So she's got this catalog of here's the illness, here's the low-quality thought that might be impacting that area, here's some high-quality thoughts that you can add into it, and that's affirmations, and you would work through that. So through that, I got to understand where thoughts, feelings, and attitudes are stored in the body. I can look at somebody's posture and kind of have an idea about their psychology just from being in the work and doing it myself. And um, massage is a great way to work it out of people. So it was like doing the same kind of work that we were doing in these encounter groups. Uh, but instead, I could just put you on the table, have you practice specific breathing techniques while we're doing massage and we can work those thoughts and stuff out of your body in a massage. So it was all the same kind of work. I, would, so I had a lot of clients that we did an intake on, on what are your dreams, what do you think your purpose is, what, if massage could facilitate that, that kind of thing. From there I opened a Center for Health Resources on Burnett Road. We had four rooms there. Um, I rented out uh, three of the rooms to other therapists, help therapists coming out of massage school, learn how to build their own business. And there's uh, two people still operating in that room now. And that was started probably in around 2000. So after having a full practice for about seven or eight years, I was still traveling around teaching weekend courses every once in a while, but it wasn't a full-time gig. And uh, I was, uh, had been exploring this uh, breath work more deeply. And so there's one process where um, you can fast for several days, a vision quest kind of process. Uh, fast for several days, and then I would go. This is the first time I went camping, actually. Not, I was on my 40th birthday. So I fasted, and then I got to um, Enchanted Rock and uh, started a silent meditation. Stayed up all night, Friday night, keeping a fire burning, and then hiking, at, started hiking at sunrise, practicing these breathing techniques. 
in hopes that I would have some kind of uh, vision like, you know, Jesus fasted in the desert for 40 days and Billy Jack got in the snake pit and got bit by a bunch of snakes. You don't know Billy Jack? (laughs) It's a great cult movie from the 70s. Really influenced me when I was 13 and just after my father had died. Yeah, that's how he had gotten his transition was they put him in a snake pit. And you got to see it. It's a great, it's a cult classic. Yeah. One tin soldier rides away. (laughs) Um, And uh, um, so anyway, just to produce a non-ordinary state of consciousness uh, along that lines without using mushrooms or LSD. Uh, And I had a non-ordinary experience for about um, six hours. So what I thought I so what I wanted to do was I initially wanted to start taking people on those kinds of adventures. I wanted to take you, have you start fasting, get to a campsite, stay up all night in silence, keeping a fire burning, teach you these specific breathing techniques. You would have to learn the breathing techniques before we go on this adventure. It'd be like an advanced uh, thing, and then bring you into this other. Uh, realm. But to do that, I felt like I needed more credentials. And so I wanted to go back to school, get a doctorate in transpersonal psychology so that I could have a academic conversation about what I was doing. My wife's business was quite successful at the time. We were in a position where we could uh, do that, or I could go back to school. And uh, in that process, I only, that was, this is probably 41, 42, after selling the Center for Health Resources uh, back in school at ACC, and I was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. Then the testicular cancer uh, really kicked a hole in all of that. I put too much emphasis on why didn't I catch that low-quality thought? Um, in order for that illness to show up in my body, so I had a little guilt and shame and stuff around that. I used to think Louise Hay was a Bible. We don't know what the fuck cancer is. We don't know really know what disease is, you know? I mean, when you really get honest about it. There's so much variable. And so that started tainting me. So uh, after I got sick, I didn't, I wasn't interested in, Going back to school right away, I went to work at a plant nursery, digging holes in the winter for, I think I was working for 8 or $10 an hour. I mean, really just uh, digging holes. And so I uh, didn't say much. And uh, when spring started coming around, I had a conversation with the owner, told him that I had some other skills. We had discussed partnering and opening a second location. And I recommended instead that we build something here, build something spectacular here. And it ended up going from a six-employee place to a 30-employee place and uh, uh, two and a half acres into five acres. And it's uh, one of the top 100 destination nurseries in the country. And it's fantastic. While working at the nursery, I just kind of started slipping further and further away from any metaphysic healing, oneness. I don't care. I'm working for this guy that's a 
just a, you know, I call him this deeply rooted Aggie, deeply rooted into family in a spiritual way, uh, but doesn't care anything about any of the other. I, I don't think, I, I don't think out of the seven years that I was with him, I, I might have hugged him once, <laughs> and I hug everybody. But we were spirit, we were buddies, you know what I mean. And he's a hunter. I started just becoming a Joe six pack, worked hard, drank hard, and uh, gained about sixty pounds. So I went to the nursery just to heal from the um, radiation. I was really sick after uh, radiation, and I didn't. I didn't have any juice. I, I didn't want to think. I didn't. And this was a nice, it was a great hobby. We were wildly successful uh, in what we were doing. Um, but it just wasn't really true to me. And so I was just kind of slowly slipped into this depression, which I didn't really realize. I was kind of in a, a panic mode. Um, I dropped 60 pounds on P90X while I was working at the nursery. And I got almost an elite fit body, first time I'd been fit in my whole life. And on P90X, there's a yoga uh, section. And I physically hurt myself every time I did the yoga portion. And so I'm about a year out of the nursery, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was 51 years old and didn't want to do massage again. And... So I was kind of freaking out again. Uh, you know, I was having that spiritual crisis that I'd had like when I was 27. I, I could have ridden that rut at the nursery till I died. I, I, and I'd have been just fine. I'd have been as happy as anybody could expect to be in their life, you know. It would have been just fine. I think what it was for me was, you know, like I said, the, in meeting uh, those people down in South Padre the night before, I was on my knees praying with all my might. And I had one of those... Uh, nights, uh, well, losing the weight had a lot to do with it. I, I mean, I do believe that that weight was a result of thoughts, feelings, and attitude uh, that I was just carrying in my body, and I wasn't carrying that anymore, so I had to get take those layers off to get down to something closer to the core of whatever was going on so it was more accessible um, then. Here I am, a 51-year-old guy. I don't want to go back into car sales. I don't, uh, the relationship business stuff is, the way that I was doing it was in the past. I didn't have enough education or credentials to really start something new with that at the level of there's already work out there that's great. You know, uh, there's other programs that I send people to now for that kind of work because it's better than anything I could have done. Anyway, so I was in a panic on what am I going to, it was, a, I think, probably like a midlife crisis. It was that same kind of feeling on I'm just getting down on my knees and praying with all my might on, I'm so fucking lost. You know, I remember one night just really wailing and wanting it so passionately. And then... It was probably within days of that that I found a Sapphire Yoga class. And um, so I went to uh, a beginner's yoga class at Yoga Yoga with Sapphire Bell. 
Sapphire Bell's parents were yoga teachers at Esalen, Big Sur, right? So she was doing yoga in utero. <laughs> but in her class, man, she was just, in addition to the asanas or postures that she was putting you in, she was, driving, she was getting people to breathe efficiently um, and deeply. And while they're doing that, she's just dropping in all these huge spiritual bombs that were in alignment with all the other stuff that I'd been. I was like, wow, this is really powerful. The reason that I was hurting myself is because I didn't have alignment. You know, P90X is an extreme workout. You're going to get to an elite fit body in 90 days, and that's extreme. The yoga portion of it is extreme yoga. That's for people who have been in yoga. They know the difference. Uh, you know, if you're uh, in Warrior One, you ought to be able to look down and see your big toe. I didn't know that. My knee was bending over in the other direction. And all the modifications that were available, um, that's why I was hurting myself. I didn't know good posture and I didn't know modifications. So I went to yoga every day for a year. I, I There might have been a couple of six-day weeks in there, but most of them were seven days a week. Boy, my body's starting to you know, vibrate up right now just talking about it. I'd never been fit before, and so what I liked was the fitness aspect of yoga. I liked that I could still get my workout. But like I said, in that very first class, I knew what she was doing with breath. I had an understanding. I was like, wow, this is profoundly therapeutic. And then we're bringing in high-quality thoughts at the same time. And now how can we, you know, how can I maintain that same breath and state of mind while holding a posture. That was interesting to me. That added another dimension to the experience. And rapid therapy started happening for me. You know, that depression I kind of slipped into over the six years started peeling away. So uh, then I went to uh, yoga therapy training with uh, Genevieve Yellen at Sundara Yoga Therapy. And that was just 200 hours of training. It kind of teaches you how to learn how to be a yoga teacher, really. It's, and you have to find your practice in there, continue doing other training. I wouldn't consider myself a yoga therapist until I'd done 1,000 hours of training with them and maybe 10,000 hours in practice with classes. But it was incredibly therapeutic. I did a bunch of uh, emotional release work, and it brought me back to that connection um, that I had before I got sick. It brought me back to that mystery in a very powerful and emotional way. And um, in the middle of that training, I was I, I thought, man, if if I make my way through this, I'm going to bring as many people with me as I can. And um, that's how Yoga Hike uh, ended up coming to be. That's after I did my year of training. Now I'm a 52-year-old guy. I've only got 200 hours worth of training. And, uh, you know, who wants to go to that class? <laughs> So I started inviting friends that I trusted to go with me to the Austin 360 Bridge for sunrise. 
and I would just kind of practice teaching yoga with them. So then I put it up on uh, Facebook as a event, and four, six, ten, twelve people started showing up to the events, and I was making it donation-based classes. Then there was one event where 5,000 people on Facebook said that they were going. And so I had to build a website to filter that to something that was manageable and something, something that was manageable all across the board. I didn't know what was going to be what. And so but we had 100 people uh, show up on a January in 37-degree weather, overcast, sprinkling a little bit, and we had to cross 100 feet of water uh, ankle-high, deep, and nobody turned around. <laughs> That's when I realized that there's something uh, larger than me that I want to try and uh, ride with. And so uh, the following week we had 80 people at the same location and then two weeks later we had 90 people show up to clean up the Onion Creek uh, trail that had been flooded the year before. And um, what I have found is that there's something um, that's informing the trees and informing the birds and the cosmos. There seems like there's something there that has order. And uh, the human ego seems to be the only thing in the universe that's disrupting uh, a natural flow with all of that. And so what I hope to do is have myself be more connected to whatever it is that it's informing the trees and the birds and the sun and the oceans and the moons and all that and have a heartfelt um, connection to that. And being on the trail seems to do it in a more profound way than being in a yoga studio where all that aliveness has been kind of manufactured out to make walls and air conditioning and all that kind of thing. So I think the reason that yoga hike has been so profound for people is because they're more connected to whatever all that source is. I just open them up to specific techniques and mental games uh, that connect them uh, to that for themselves. It's because of whatever I'm synced up with, I'm, I'm sure, but I'm just amazed at how many people that I meet that what the Austin experience has been for them is that they've had that transition like you speak about having, you know, three years ago. That this was a place that was an impetus for it. So there's something magical here. I think I'm a spiritual atheist. Huh? We may edit that out later. <laughs> um, Not good marketing? I don't know. <laughs> I've tried it on a few people. They don't seem to like it. <laughs> feels to me. I'd, I'd buy that. Yeah, I mean, but the, the thing is, is that there seems to be some higher functioning in the brain that if we'll surrender to it in a really powerful way, a higher brain functioning comes in and guides us on our path like it would a bird, you know? And I think it comes to that, that mental breakdown where you just god i can't keep moving like this i, I need something 
where it's a cry from deep in my soul. I think I everybody that. gets to that. I think that's what it is. It's that final breakdown on, fuck, there's, I, I, I got nothing left. Help. <laughs> and it feels like God comes in. So I can see why books would be written about that. <laughs> For the business of Yoga Hike, uh, we're hoping to expand that um, this year to where we can have six or eight classes going uh, every month um, instead of the four classes that are happening now. Um, and then I'm interested in weekend adventures. Uh, um, I've tested a couple of them camping locally. Um, come out on a Saturday, set up camp. We do a sunset practice, sunset hike and practice, um, a night hike back, have some Dutch oven cooking, uh, overnight, big campfire, have scotch and a cigar. It's not a yoga retreat. It's a yoga hike and no pressure to have scotch or a cigar. Um, yeah, I need to work on that marketing a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then a sunrise uh, hike in the morning and paddle boards and uh, a couple of kayaks and that kind of thing. So camp yoga hike is on the horizon. Travel yoga hike, uh, our yoga hike travel is also on the horizon. We've done a few trips where we went to uh, Yosemite from a Thursday to Thursday through Sunday and had a cabin a mile from the Yosemite Park entrance. So all the food was catered by Whole Foods. A big, huge deck to do a morning practice on. Go out to the uh, hike in the park from can till can't. Um, and those have been great. So I'm hoping to do more of that. September this year, I feel pretty good that I'm going to take a group to... Um, Ghost Ranch, uh, New Mexico, which has one of the best sunsets I've ever seen anywhere, anytime. And you've seen it uh, in movies. Um, it's a cool spot. And then, you know, if I'm smart enough and I pull the right kind of team together, I'd like for travel, uh, yoga hike travel, to expand to being uh, international trips to international locations. I'm interested in that. Uh, landing out in Norway, there's other places, and then having nationally ranked yoga teachers be part of that. We're starting to hire uh, teachers now. I'm starting to get the courage to ask people that are way better at teaching yoga than me. I've been a little intimidated by that, so we're going to start branching out into bringing masters in and get hashtag old guy yoga off the trail. Uh, with the exception of adventures, the weekends and the long adventures, I'm interested in facilitating those because we can incorporate a bunch of other work. That's the biggest challenge I'm having with Yoga Hike right now is that I think that I'm trying to open people up to too large an experience at their introductory experience. Right now, the, the hikes that I lead, I think I'm more intense than what people are expecting to show up for. Some of these other great teachers have the finesse to ease people into that in a beginner's class uh, without them knowing. I think that'll come from experience. I don't have that right now. I think I hit people too hard on their 
intro experience. That's one of the reasons I'm interested in bringing in other teachers that are a little bit more gentle in that approach and haven't had the experience of taking people as deep, so they're not going to. I feel like I bring a whole encounter group, uh, weekend encounter group experience into the way that I say deeply connect to your breath, your purpose, and your intention. Yeah, how much of me are they coming to the trail for? No, those people that are coming back, are they coming back for the experience of the trail or for me? Or I'm hoping that they're coming for the yoga and for the trail. I don't want the yoga hike to be a cult of personality. What's been great is that me as a dumb old country boy from Beaumont, Texas, people have had profound experiences on those hikes. And I want anybody that has the desire to provide that to be able to do that by facilitating a yoga hike. Uh, so um, the one thing that I would uh, hope that everyone, uh, that I do want to close my experience with everyone with is that there's something about this that is a calling for you. Um, and I hope that all the things fall into place in order to make this kind of experience a thing that supports the kind of lifestyle that you want to live. That's my biggest dream for you and for anybody that's interested in listening to this conversation between you and I. Thank you again to Christopher Howell of Yoga Hike for sharing his time and his story. He went through a few transformations through the years, and there are more than a couple of moments in there that I can relate to personally. You can find Yoga Hike on the web at yogahike.com or at facebook.com slash outdooryogahike. You can also just search for Yoga Hike on Facebook. There's also a closed group you can join on Facebook called Yoga Hike in Central Texas. And on Instagram, it's at yoga underscore hike. It is an incredibly energizing, uplifting experience he's created. And if you sign up, you might just see me out there on the trail doing my best impression of a downward dog. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next time.